They said to wait like seven to ten days to let her outside. I was like, fuck that, man. Not happening. She's going to die of a terrible infection. You think so? That's <laughs> like the pioneer days, man. Um, yeah, while we're on that subject, no, she's totally fine. You ever wonder, now I get there's something to do with the advent of antibiotics and whatever. Uh-huh. But do you ever wonder exactly, like, how that, like, cutting your finger, like, 200 years ago could, like, kill your ass? It would have And today, <laughs> like, we don't even put Neosporin, really, on shit like that. That's true. What happened? What happened into the, in the germ world that they just lay, they started laying off of us? It's called antibiotics, I think. Yeah, but... <laughs> You think that there was a change on the germ side of things? Well, what I'm where saying... Where the germs, they got a little nicer? Listen, it's <laughs> not what I'm saying. I'm saying all this doom and gloom I read about these, like, new, like, crazy-ass super germs and shit uh-huh. that are coming to kill us all. I'd just like to provide a counterpoint to that. Germs have gotten considerably nicer in the last <laughs> 200 years. <laughs> I think if we're trending toward anything, we're trending toward a time of advanced health. <laughs> Interesting. I disagree, but um, <laughs> I saw something I read today that was absolutely horrifying, my friend. You don't want to read it. I almost Go hit me with it. I don't care anymore. You don't care anymore? I don't care anymore. It's all falling apart. Have you gotten past the hypochondria? You you Oh, I, I are you talk are you referring to how that super germs are proliferating and they're more widespread than thought? It would be funny if you as a character Stopped being a hypochondriac, or I'm sorry, if your character st- continued being a hypochondriac, but like you personally, the Tom Sexton I see day to day, you were like totally just cool, man. Peace <laughs> with it all. <laughs> I'm not a doc. I'm not a hypochondriac, but I play one on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> on a moderately popular left wing podcast. Um, this thing that I read today, uh, will really, uh. Bake your noodle. That I, I, what's well, a funny stuff? Huh? What, what's what's bake your noodle mean? <laughs> Cook your noodle. Uh, bake your biscuit. I don't know. <laughs> it seems like something that. <laughs> <laughs> this is where I turn to the galley and just shaking my head. Like, what's he talking about? You know, one of those things th- that you you're all the time hearing from people, <laughs> old timers. Remember back in the day on Lil Wayne mixtapes when they would. He would start out a song like, "Yeah, yo, thanks, Cash Money Records, <clears throat> YMCMB." Hey, um, but no, this article I read earlier today was uh pretty horrifying. It was about um, yeah. What do you know about climate change induced camouflage mismatch, my dude? <laughs> Not into it. Doesn't sound like anything I'm into. Climate change induced camouflage mismatch. Carry on. It's a it's a term that scientists have created for the phenomenon of apparently the snowshoe hare is a type of rabbit yeah. that changes its hair it uh its fur changes every year at the beginning of winter. It goes from like brown to silver. But now with climate change getting worse, <clears throat> winters occur they're starting to occur later and later, but the the hairs themselves, the the rabbits, I'm not, are I don't still wanna, turning gray. They're they're still turning gray, 
quicker than it takes it to get white. So paradoxically, it's actually leaving them vulnerable more to attackers. V- more vulnerable, correct. Because I guess the adaptation is to blend in with the snow. Yes, that's exactly But now right. the hawks and so forth can just see them easier. They're getting pecked off in record numbers. Right. Yeah. About time they got their comeuppance, if you ask me. <laughs> the snowshoe hares? Yes. <laughs> well... Weirdly enough, this article wasn't even about the snowshoe hair. It was just an opening anecdote, which perhaps was a little gratuitous in hindsight. Let's <laughs> <laughs> um, get to some much more sinister examples. Yeah. Uh, the article was in Aeon. Do you ever read Aeon? I like Aeon. They got good stuff. Yeah. Um, the article was in, a- in Aeon, and it was talking about how Lyme's disease is like the first... You know, and I don't know, this might be a hot take. Maybe we've got some pathologist or epidemiologists in the audience that are like, this is... This is bad science. This is junk science. This is bullshit. Um, <laughs> I love the phrase junk science. This is junk science. <laughs> 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 they, uh, they, uh, these writers, scientists, whatever, said that Lyme's disease might be the first climate change induced, like, epidemic. Eh. Because... Ticks are loot. Are they going out of fucking control, man? Ticks are they're getting they, wily. They are getting they are getting very wily. It, but it was really horrifying, um, because it, it like they they interviewed this. Um, they were talking like the writer, I guess, was talking to this moose biologist in Maine. <laughs> <laughs> when you want to be a moose biologist. <laughs> There's yeah, a goddamn grift going on. You're shaking your head because you know that that's where I'm going to be in 30 years. Probably. Um, apparently, moose are dying off, like, everywhere. Like, some states have even um, proposed listing the moose as an endangered species. Like, no the Midwestern, northern states, like Wisconsin and Minnesota and shit. Yeah. Um, and it's because ticks are so bad, and they're dying from Lyme disease. They're dying from tick-related illness. No, dude, they're dying from literally, literally being bled to death. Ticks are sucking them yeah, dry. Sucking them dry, man. This what this moose biologist. Pause. <laughs> Carry on. What did you have a thought? No, I just said sucking them dry, and I was like, pause. <laughs> now they just do that in rap songs. Um, yeah. This moose biologist, this was a funny part about it. This moose biologist, like, counted 148,000 ticks on a single moose one time. Which, that's insane. 148,000, or 147,000. Almost 150,000. 150,000 ticks on a single animal. On a single animal. And so, like, that was pretty weird. But, like, the Werner Herzog, you know, part of me wanted to know... About the kind of biologist that sits down and counts every single tick, <laughs> a hundred and fifty thousand of them. You know what I mean? And if he's like gets to like a hundred twenty one thousand, then like his wife hollers at him and he loses his count. He's like, Ah, goddamn it, Nancy! <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, think about it. The 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 it, you're you're picking them off probably a dead moose or a, a moose carcass. So you've got a dead carcass there. It smells like shit. You're picking 150,000, 150K ticks off that motherfucker. I'm wondering if, if you could pick that 
like instead of like the electric chair, lethal injection, or the firing squad. Yeah. It's like <laughs> I've got an. We don't alter- have any sodium. I've got pent- an alternative, Judge. <laughs> We're all out of sodium pentothal, sir. <laughs> it's the ticks for him. It's <laughs> yeah. Dude, that's pretty. It's pretty. It's pretty insane. I bet you get high as fuck after you start losing so much blood. Like, but it'd be gradual. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, but anyways, <laughs> but anyways, they got the uh, so the ticks are so bad that they're killing off moose left and right, um, and that that whole part aspect of the story was pretty horrifying. And then it got into the Lyme disease aspect of it. And so we're not even to the terrifying part yet. Yeah. Well, I kind of stopped reading after the moose part. I was like, that's all I really care about. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I need is one uh, weird bar fact to own the libs with. Right. That's all. That's all I read any articles for, man. I like. I <laughs> just some mic dropping knowledge. Exactly. Like I come across an article and I just sort of strip it of all of its pretense. It's sort of like a butcher. You yeah. know what I mean? I just cut it down and then just add it to your interesting anecdotes right. uh, catalog in your one head. One little factoid out of it <laughs> that I add into the. This is wild, man, but in Wisconsin, yeah, 150,000 ticks got on a moose and killed it, man. <laughs> 25-year-old me would have really been into that. Do you kind of feel like the older you get, um, me personally, I've become more and more disillusioned with the whole having facts in, in general, really just with having opinions. I've become more disillusioned with just having opinions and facts, just period. I'm kind of just like a... Uh, Maybe this means I'm becoming more of a nihilist. I don't know, but I, I'm kind of becoming just a blank slate. I'm kind of just trying to wipe it all clean. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, you gave me a good piece of advice a couple of weeks back. It's just fight the urge to weigh in. Yeah, yeah. You and gotta I, fight the urge. Every everybody would probably do well to just fight the urge to weigh in. Yeah. Well, the the thing is, is that so few people fight the urge to weigh in. There's so much weighing in going on right now in the world that it's made me very self-conscious of my own just opinions about anything to the point that I don't even feel comfortable saying them anymore. No, me, me either. <laughs> I'm I'm afraid that, that uh, you know, I'm not going to say certain people don't have whack opinions from time to time, mm-hmm. but I'm sure I have a whack opinion tucked up in here somewhere. Oh, yeah. That if I blurted it out <laughs> on Twitter... I would be lambasted and <laughs> cast aside. I'd, I would be discarded. I've definitely said them. The thing is, is that with every single person, doesn't matter who you are, you could be the smartest person in the world. Every single person, if they talk long enough... Has a whack opinion. Yes, they have a whack opinion. They're going to contradict themselves at some point. That's They've got some. a lapse in judgment or laughing opinion. With having a podcast where there's over 100 hours of you just fucking... Spouting out said opinions. <laughs> right. You're going to come across a few that you don't like. I would be interested. This is a challenge to Trillbillies fans out here. Go to the catalog and tweet at us one whack opinion you think we've had. <laughs> that we have? That we have one, had. One whack opinion that we have had or that we could potentially have? That you no, that we have had, have had in the catalog. Interesting. Interesting. And I will judge if it's a... St- if I stand by it or not. <laughs> yeah, okay. I like this. I like this. I'm pretty fragile, so I'll probably immediately be <laughs> well, How could you say something like that? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, I like this idea. Am I a real boy? 
Um. Well, damn. So I had a good laugh today. Somebody tweeted at us and said, "Hey, I just played you all for my lawyer. He's he really digs it." <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, th- I'm thinking, in what scenario? <laughs> what scenario? Is there a lawyer somewhere getting paid 400 bucks an hour? I don't know. Maybe we've gotten somebody <laughs> off of jail. Like someone's alibi was like, oh, I was listening to the Trillbilly. Yeah, like that Curb Your Enthusiasm episode. Oh, yeah, where someone got off because they yeah, were... Yeah, so I got acquitted because they were, they were on Curb Your Enthusiasm. Couldn't have possibly committed the crime. That's a good advertising slogan for us. Listen to the Trillbillies because you need an alibi. You need an alibi. Assuming that all of our fans are uh, criminals of some kind. I'm a criminal. It's okay. I'm sure they are. And I applaud that. I do too. <laughs> but I did I, I did think that was funny. It's like, played you guys for my lawyer. He digs you. <laughs> Speaking of lawyers, um, Trump's lawyer, Michael Cohen. Oh, yeah. Guy, he's got indicted, right? He, he was, uh, his offices were raided today. That's right. Okay. And I was reading the New York Times article about it, and it was really funny because they were, throughout the whole thing, they were quoting Michael Cohen's lawyer. Yeah. Which was really confusing to me. I mean, it makes sense. <laughs> and it also it also answers or sort of uh, hints at the age old que- the answer to the age old question: Who's a barber's barber? Right. Exactly. Who is a doctor's, <laughs> a doctor's doctor? doctor? He's yeah. a surgeon's surgeon. Well, some dipshit named Stephen Ryan is Michael Cohen's lawyer. I think that was his name. Damn, dude, you know he's good. <laughs> if he's representing a guy like Michael Cohen. <laughs> Damn, you're right. Well, all I know is Michael Cohen posts really creepy photos of his daughter on online, and that's surprising. No, I know the whole Trump thing is guys wanting to fuck their daughters. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like if that, if you could sum up one sort of like pathological trait of every Trump person, it would be guys wanting to fuck their daughters. It is. It's a cliche, but it is kind of true. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, it's something that was that was not a uh, something that was sort of like lost in the whole story of Daniels thing. Or I guess it wasn't lost. People did talk about it, but it was like he didn't he say something to Stormy Daniels like, "Oh, you remind me of my daughter" or something like that. Yeah, it wasn't like great legs, perfect thighs. You remind me of <laughs> you remind me of Ivanka. It's something like that. Terrible, terrible, terrible. Um, well, speaking of bad opinions, oh, that reminds me. I was going to send you something. Speaking of bad opinions. Oh, God. I wanted, to, I was going to say, I had this email all printed out and sent to you because I had this idea for a bit. The bit is called Me and You Read Read Back and Forth Lines from the 2004 movie Crash. <laughs> I'm into this. All right, and the reason I want to talk about this, the reason I... Uh, I'm going to ask you a question before you going further. You think Crash moved the needle? Did it change things? Did it move the needle? <laughs> Hold on. Just, can we put... I, I want to do a bit <laughs> called What Moved the Needle. <laughs> <laughs> what moved the needle? All right, sick of pinning that. Okay. Let me... I got to pee... And then I'm going to, we're going to talk about Crash and the reason why we're talking about Crash. It's like a Raymond Chandler novel. Yeah. 
what you're talking about when you're talking about love or uh, sex. Or... It has nothing to do with that, really. <laughs> is that what it was? What we talk about when we talk about. That is also one of my... Uh, what that's a hack. That's a hack, like journalistic, journalistic uh, byline right, title. Right. There. What we talking about when we talk about whatever. What we talk about when we talk about X. It's just like I saw. Yeah. What? Then someone had a book or an article. What we talk about when we're talking about Anne Frank. That's. <laughs> is is that that, that is, is that a, an example of having jumped the shark? That is a hack thing. Um, wasn't that the guy's name who wrote? Was it Raymond Chandler or Raymond Carver? I always get them confused. Raymond Carver, I think. One of them was no. a, a noir writer who wrote like The Big Sleep and The Maltese Falcon, and then the other one was the guy who wrote like just poignant short stories that, like, you know, it's kind of got the whole like writerly writer vibe. It's like to the it. Postman Rings Twice, like those little kind of pulpy noir. That was Raymond. Is that Raymond? I don't know. I don't know either. Uh, I'm going to go for you, though. Hold on. Okay. <laughs> it's your life. You say you need a change. <laughs> Remember the other night when we were talking about RoboFriend? <laughs> like, if your friend dies and you can download his consciousness onto a robot? <laughs> well, my RoboFriend Tom would sing Kanye Twitty song. <laughs> it's your life. <laughs> you say you need a change. <laughs> All right, so who who am I and who are you in this dialogue? Uh, okay, hold on. So the reason I want to tee this up is... Uh, the reason I want to talk about Crash is because we watched a movie the other night, speaking of bad opinions. Uh-huh. I want to know what your thoughts are on the controversial film Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. And the reason I'm talking about this is because... Don't set me up here because I got a feeling that you have researched the best opinion on this. You you now hold it. And I obviously hold the older bad opinion on this. Shit, I didn't... (laughs) And you're waiting to dunk on me. (laughs) I feel like that's how things work. Uh, (laughs) I'm sorry. But if you want my bad opinion, here's the bad opinion. No, 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 hold on. I've not researched the good opinions on this movie. Okay, does everybody... I hope I'm not alone (laughs) in that. I'm the only person in the world because I spend so much goddamn time on the website that I second-guess everything I believe and everything I say. Uh Uh-huh. No, 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 I'm the same way. I'm going to go ahead and tell you. I liked Three Billboards Outside Evan, Missouri. All right. And I think that I think that some of the overacting in it and uh-huh. some of the shots with some of the questionable music things, yeah, I think the fix is in on all that stuff, and I think it was trying to make a greater point about the duality of man. <laughs> That's good, all right. I actually haven't read the best opinions about this movie. I've only read the worst opinions about this movie. That's what I do with everything, Tom. You know, I don't actually like. I don't want to get to any part, like higher, like stage of enlightenment about anything. You just want to. I just want to know what the worst opinions are about something. So it's stay away from. Yeah. Um. So, uh, no. The reason I wanted to talk about Crash was because it, you know, in all the um, sort of 
criticisms of this movie, that was the movie thrown out the most. That when it was crash like that, yeah. They, like they kept saying that, like as other films in American cinema that have attempted to tackle race, like Crash, like I don't know, like there's nothing in this movie that is even remotely as awful as Crash. Like the whole, I mean, like I was thinking, well, like, hold on a second, hold on a second. So the people that tried out these opinions, they think that they think that Crash moved the needle. I, I want to title this what we're talking about when we talk about moving, moving the, the needle. needle. <laughs> okay. Because it does depend on which direction the needle <laughs> is going. <laughs> you can move the needle a lot of different ways. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, so, I guess, like, the bit, the one of the biggest people that did this was Ira Madison on Daily Beast. Yeah. And Wesley Morris for the New York Times. Yeah. Uh, Ira, Ira Madison's review was dog shit. It was like six paragraphs. It was just like whatever. Um, and it took issue with the way that race is handled in this movie. Uh, three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Um, it was dog shit because he didn't really get into that. Whereas Wesley Morris in the New York Times kind of, I thought, did a good job of exploring it. And he had me, and he and he um, convinced me on some things that like, oh yeah, like I could see... Well, we'll get into that later. But but even he succumbed to the whole, this movie's like Crash. And it is nothing like Crash, man. Because Crash is entirely about racism. Like, that's that's the whole, that the the, the, I, the movie is built around this very nebulous idea. <laughs> the only thing I walked, this might be a testament to Crash moving the needle. <laughs> but the only thing that 2005, 6... For for Tom Sexton, but it won 2005 Oscar. Okay, the only thing that Tom Sexton 2005 walked out of Crash with is that (laughs) yes, black people can like country music too. Yeah, that was your takeaway (laughs) from what I took away from from Crash. Right, I probably liked it as a high schooler, as a sophomore in high school or something. Yeah, a sort of liberal type kid, like, oh yeah, this is enlightening. In all seriousness, I thought, like, back then, I was like, yeah, man, this is saying some shit, man. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's it was really dumb. <laughs> I went I went back and uh, watched it like even two or three years after it came out, and thinking that it was already garbage by that point. It had a very short half life in my mind. Oh yeah, I'll yeah, yeah, that. totally, totally. But um, but none of like so like Crash is weird. So like. The whole movie, yeah, it's built around racism. All of its characters are imbued with some sort of like racist flaw that all pulls them together. You know what I mean? Like they they have this original sin of racism, capital yeah. R racism, and then like that that's the MacGuffin that drives the plot forward. Right. Whereas like this movie, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, which I was told to stay away from, it's not woke or whatever. It it like it, it doesn't even try like it. That is a theme in the movie, like racism, but it's not, it's not the central conceit of the movie. Right. That's not what the movie is not trying to explore that ex- specific theme. When the movie does touch on it, I thought it did it in some interesting ways. Right. You know, and I think one of the in- most interesting parts about it was that it was an anti-cop film. It really, like, it really had a lot of anti-cop sentiments. I thought it it reinforced the idea that cops are comedic. Tragic comedic figures, I think. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, sort of, yeah, I could, yeah. yeah like, yeah. Ob- like what I mean by that, like, clowns, objects to be laughed at. Dipshits. <laughs> Some would say. <laughs> no, well, I did think it was interesting that, like, the whole idea of the movie was to, um, well, I don't know, just from what the screenwriter and director said, uh, Martin McDonough, I think is his name, you know, it was sort of to explore how this one person could change, Sam Rockwell's character. If you notice in Which the movie, who, who was the most extreme example of a dipshit? Total dipshit. And I, do you think Sam Rockwell played <laughs> that moron. character over the top? <laughs> <laughs> Complete moron. <laughs> Moronical. Yeah, he was. He was. Uh, um, no, I don't think he played it over the top. I thought he did a pretty good job. I mean, like he did a good job, but I'm talking about like I felt like at first he was kind of like a caricature of like. I don't know. I know what you're saying. He was kind of, well, he's just kind of like the, the cop's dumb sidekick. Like yeah. he's, Woody Harrelson is the kind of John Wayne. Like, the principled, yeah, the, tough but principled right, cop. Right, right, Like the sort of like handsome whatever. Yeah. By the way, it looked really great for someone dying of pancreatic They really, they, I, I, I love Woody Harrelson. They botched that, man. They should have had somebody <laughs> that was like. <laughs> look derelict. I mean, he looked too, way too robust to be dying of tanned, pancreatic cancer. Very yeah. tanned. Very tanned. Yeah. No, there were elements. <laughs> a healthy 225 pounds. <laughs> right. But but for a movie made in 2018, you don't see a lot of like anti-cop sentiment out there. Granted, it could have gone a lot further, obviously, like all movies can. I just thought it was pretty interesting because I just got this very anarchic vibe from it. Yeah. Fuck the Catholic Church, man. Fuck. The, co- the police is this. These aren't yeah. opinions I've read. I've not seen. I have. I, I swear to God, Tom, I haven't. I haven't done my homework before talking about this. Okay. Other than reading, I'll, I'll take that on faith. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but notice how like Sam uh, Dixon is this character's name. Sam Rockwell's character in the movie. Yeah. Notice how, um. You know, it was ostensibly about a person sort of transforming, although that was not the, like, that was a weird part. That's another thing in the in the criticism I've seen in this movie. They take that to be the central plot line, which is not. I mean, it is a big plot line, probably the second biggest plot line in the movie. But that's not, like, to me, the story was more about Francis McDormand and um, the challenge of, like, standing up for something really difficult to talk about in a small town against the sort of like powerful power structure yeah established power structure well that's what i what we were talking about right after we watched it is it perfectly mirrors sort of the dynamics of eastern kentucky in ways that i didn't expect it to yeah down to and the thing that was most telling for me was when like the local tv station was covering the the well spoilers here yeah but the billboards being burned, and then like how they were completely deferential to the arsonists. Yeah, <laughs> and then Francis McDormand's character pulls up to the arsonists and the cops. Basically, they were completely de- deferential to like the police chief. Yeah, right. If I remember correctly, I don't know. But yeah, yeah you're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah, and it, that and, it, and just how those stories are vapid and like yeah, yeah, and completely uh, reactionary. Yeah. Yeah, I'll finish it. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, you're you're right. Um, yeah, that to be honest with you, man, it really resonated with me because of a lot of the stuff with LGP and about like protesting the prison and about 
you know, this uh, around summer of 2016 when the this Black Lives Matter sign was hung up in somebody's window, and there was it was just hugely controversial. I didn't thing. even think about that, but yeah, it kind of mirrors that exactly. Yeah, it, it, to be to me, like it was it was this really fascinating window that situation and. The situation I'm referring to is when someone here in Whitesburg put a Black Lives Matter sign in their window and, like, the local media have totally flipped shit. Like... The local police completely flipped shit. Yeah, local police completely flipped shit. Um, to me, it was a... This movie was kind of like that because it was this It was this thing, like, where a small town... Just a small town thing happens. But it sort of, like... it sort of like a magnet it pulls in all these other larger things going on in the sort of like zeit- national zeitgeist or you know just the, what yeah you know including uh race and police brutality and all this other stuff and it's like our reactions to those things may not be 100 percent woke or like or or adhere to what someone might think of when they think about how we talk about things but that doesn't mean that the people behind those things aren't still humans and, and that they, you know, aren't reacting to their immediate environment in a way that's, I don't know. I'm They've been gonna... conditioned to. Yeah. Does that make any sense? No, it makes total sense. It makes total sense. You know, I, I, and, so, and some of the things I've seen, the, so the, some of the critics about it say, I mean, I, I will warrant, like, they're, they're right. I, some of it does feel very, I thought, felt half-assed. Some of it felt like a sort of satirical experiment that failed in some ways, like at some parts of the movie. But for the most part, I thought it was a much more complex film than the media had sort of made it out to be. Oh yeah, the resistance media. The you know what I'm saying? Like, and maybe 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 it was other people as well. I don't know. But it is like, I don't know. It just seems like it had this controversial air to it. That was really strange. Once I watched it, it didn't feel controversial. It felt so familiar. Like nah. you know what I'm saying? It just nah. like oh, this is just my life on a day to day basis. It's not a New York or LA film, and I don't mean that in like that annoying. Oh, this is yeah, you know, coastal elites, blah blah blah. Cause I hate that shit. But yeah. it's not like unless you live that. I and I really don't know. I'd be interested. <laughs> Might be a long shot for us to get the filmmaker on here. But I'd be interested to see how they really tapped into that in a way that really felt that resonated with people like us that live in places like that, right? Um, yeah, because it was it was yeah it was really it was really yeah resonant. Yeah, it was pretty interesting. Um, but <laughs> okay, but. One of the things that pisses me off so much about this comparison to Crash is that this movie, whether three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri, what whatever you think about like the, its treatment of the characters, its sort of like treatment of uh, these complex issues using satire, some of these other things, whatever you think about that, you cannot argue that the writing is not really good and the acting is incredible. Yeah, oh yeah. Two things that you cannot say about Crash. That is a dog shit movie. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, no offense, but if if you cast Chris Ludacris Bridges, 
It's, well, and um, um, Sandra Bullock. Sandra, Sandra Bullock. Sandra God, Bullock man. plays a very racist woman, a uh, white lady, sort of like. Imagine that. <laughs> She I think she's been typecast. Is that racist vibe? Dad, if you need a, uh, uh, let me speak to the manager esque white woman that's in your exactly film, right. Sandra Bullock should go that's to. That's exactly what I thought. Yeah. She was in that movie, The Blind Spot, which. The Blind Spot. The Blind Spot. <laughs> the blind Spot about the dangers of, of switching lanes without signaling. <laughs> yeah. The plot is she has a hard time driving because she's has a blind blind spot in her minivan and she's always hitting football players <laughs> driving. <her> t- <laughs> the blind spot. The so blind she adopts spot. one of them or something. <laughs> she adopts one of the football players. She hits. <laughs> she, hits. <laughs> yeah. she hits. Um, but uh, yeah, no, she is kind of typecasted. Um, but yeah, Sandra Bullock, uh, Matt Dillon, is in it. Matt Dillon, yeah, he is in it. Uh, what's her name? Uh, what's her, something Esposito or Esposito? Oh man, she's like, she's um, Don Cheadle's girlfriend in this movie. Who I sent you a very hilarious interaction between them. You want to read it? Let's read it. Okay. I want, I want, you, I want the audience. If you've seen Three Billboards, tell me: is there anything in that movie that is half as bad? As what we are about to read. Okay, well, how are we going to do this? You be Graham. You be Graham. I'll be Rhea. Okay. <clears throat> bring, bring. On the, Listen, you know, you're on the I phone. I can't talk to you right now. Okay, I'm, <laughs> I'm having sex with a white woman. <laughs> Graham hangs up and Rhea gets out of bed. Okay, now where were we? I was white and you were about to jerk off in the shower. Oh shit, come on. I, I would have said you were Mexican, but I don't think it would have pissed her off as much. Why do you keep everybody a certain distance, huh? What? You start to feel something in panic? Come on, Maria. You're just pissed because I answered the phone. That's just where I begin to get pissed. I mean, really. What kind of man speaks to his mother that way, huh? Oh, this is about my mother. What do you want to know about my mother? If I was your father, I'd kick your fucking ass. <laughs> Okay, okay, I was raised badly. Why don't you take your clothes off, get back in the bed, and teach me a lesson then? You want a lesson? I'll give you a lesson. How about a geography lesson? My father's from Puerto Rico. My mother's from El Salvador. Neither one of those is Mexico. Ah, ah. Well, then I guess the big mystery is who gathered all those remarkably different cultures together and taught them all how to park their cars on their fucking lawns. (laughs) That's a good ad lib you had there at the end. You have to add it when you're reading a script, I feel like. Uh, just the context. I remember that interaction. Just the context, yeah, yeah. Like, at the very beginning, they're fucking. He answers the phone, says he's having sex with a white lady. Uh, just like every... That would never happen. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Like, none of the characters in this movie are motivated by anything other than racism. Other than racism. <laughs> and it's also funny, like... It's in a lot of ways that interaction predicted the woke era, right? Whereas the characters in Three Billboards, they're they're motivated by a lot of different things, right? Tragedy, trauma, losing a daughter, having cancer, and dying. You know, all kinds of complex right. shit. <laughs> this movie doesn't even. I don't know, dude. It just that's where we're at, though. Anyways, uh, let's 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 move on here. Uh, <laughs> let's, if I remember correctly, what. 
the one we're going to read now is um, between the woman who plays San- that Sandra Bullock plays Jean in this in this uh-huh. in this one. Rick is played by Brendan Fraser. Brendan Fraser is also oh, in this movie. The goat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's in this one. Um, what I, you want me to be? How about I be the man this time? I'll be Brendan okay. Fraser. Okay. Mm. And uh, just as an aside, there is a. Um, uh, I think there's a Mexican maid in the scene just to drive home the point. Like, and they're gonna re- interact with her. So I'll play that part. <laughs> Because the, like, the interaction... <laughs> the, yeah, anyways, you'll see. <laughs> I want the locks changed again in the morning. You what? Look, why don't you just go lay down, huh? Have you checked on James? Well, of course I've checked on James. I've checked on James every five minutes since we've been home. Do not patronize me. I want the locks changed again in the morning. Shh, it's okay. Just go to bed, all right? You know what? Didn't I just tell you not to treat me like a fucking child? <laughs> I'm sorry, Miss Jean. Is it's okay? I go home now. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. <laughs> sorry, that's me. It's fine. Thank you very much for staying, Maria. You're welcome. No problem. Good night, Mrs. Jean. Good night. Rudely, it says that in the. Good night. There you go. Sorry, rudely. We'll see you tomorrow. I would like the locks changed again in the morning, and you know what? You might mention that next time we'd appreciate if they didn't send a fucking gang member. A gang member? Yes. Yes. What do you mean? That kid in there? Yes, the guy in there with the fucking shaved head and the pants around his ass, the prison tattoos. Those are not prison tattoos. Oh, really? And he's not going to sell our key to one of these fucking gangbanger friends the moment he's out the door? You really had a tough night, okay? I think it would be best if you just went upstairs. And what? And what? Wait for them to break in, Rick? (laughs) Lower your voice. I just had a gun pointed at my goddamn face, You lower your voice. And it was my fault because (laughs) I knew it was going to happen. But if a white person sees two black men walking towards her and she turns and walks the other direction, then she's a fucking racist, right? (laughs) You're you're furious now. You're furious. Well, I got scared and I didn't say shit. You're jabbing and ten your finger seconds into later, chest. I'm sorry. Can I do that too? Yeah, you can jab my finger, <laughs> finger into my chest. And ten seconds later, <laughs> I had a gun in my face. Now I'm telling you, your amigo in there is going to sell our key to one of his fucking homies. <laughs> and this time, it'd be really fucking great if you acted like you actually gave a shit. I remember that scene so good, man. <laughs> You played Sandra Bullock, racist Sandra Bullock, with the blind spot real well. Oh, man, I, you did I very, tried. You did very well. So the context for that scene, if I remember correctly, and I haven't seen this movie in a long time, but if I remember correctly, the context is that like her and Brendan Fraser are like coming back from dinner or something, and they like get held up by some black guys or something while uh, they're in their car. You know what's so funny, but and it just speaks to the piss poor casting of that movie. I could never believe Brendan Fraser and Sandra Bullock would be married. No, Brendan Fraser's a kind soul. He's a good man. He's a good. Person. He's a good and decent man. He's a good and decent person. <laughs> yeah. George of the Jungle, probably the first man I I remember having sexual feelings for. <laughs> <God damn it. laughs> he was hot in George of the Jungle when I was a kid, man. He was oily and had a shirt off. I was almost almost saying. It is funny that Brendan Fraser went from. He's always been a, like, I don't want to say a sex symbol, 
but kind of like a uh, like a goofy sexy. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean, like a buffoonish sexy. Well, you know, in that um, what was it in GQ or Esquire Vanity Fair? Uh, one of the, GQ, I, GQ. They're all the same in my mind. Yeah, where he talks about his uh, abuser. Yeah, that inter- ar- article was also interesting because. I guess he was cast in so many roles in the late '90s and early 2000s, where he was this sort of like bumbling, yeah, you know, um, whatever guy, like this sort of big and bumbling guy. Like he injured himself a lot, and so he had to go through a lot of surgeries. So, like, part of the reason that he dropped out of acting for a while was because he had been sexually assaulted, and also because he um, was just had to go get a lot of surgeries. The rigors of the mummy returns. The mu- rigors, just sort of like what's going to happen to us because, uh, but it'll, we'll have to have like uh, ass surgery. <laughs> implants. Yeah, ass <laughs> implants. So we can continue sitting and doing podcasts. <laughs> All those years as a podcaster, his ass just, he didn't have much ass to begin with anyway. It just went away. <laughs> <laughs> um,. Oh, so anyway, so anyways, uh, and there was one more. There was one more that I wanted to read, but this one is not. This one's a monologue. I think it's the opening monologue of the film, but I wanted to read it off real quick. Go for it. It's the sense of touch in any real city. You walk, you know. You brush past people. People bump into you. In L.A., nobody touches you. We're always behind this metal and glass. I think we miss that touch so much that we crash into each other just so we can feel something. <laughs> Dear God, you're staring at me with does 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 the Dave Matthews song of the same name make a, <laughs> an appearance in the in the score? Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> the climax of that movie has crap. <laughs> <laughs> that would be too on the nose, though. Wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. but maybe. But again, three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri has nothing even approaching that level of pretension and, like, superficial profundity. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, I agree 100%. Oh, man, it's weird. I just, I don't understand it. Like, to me, it was one of those films that actually did a decent job of explaining what the fuck is happening in, you know, some of these places where we're not plugged in. In our current moment. In our current moment. (laughs) Which brings me back to my original question. (laughs) Did it move the needle? Did it move the needle? Oh, jeez. Um, I apparently not. <laughs> apparently not. I mean, I I, I don't want to give this film too much credit. I mean, it had flaws. It was. It's not like the movie that like is gonna. It's not going. It's not going to move the needle on its own. <laughs> Need some application. <laughs> but um. But. That being said, it was. I thought it was interesting. Yeah, man. Yeah. yeah. Well, ca- well cast, man. When you got, I mean, you had Peter Dinklage in there. Yeah. You had uh, John Hawks. John Hawks. You know, I always forget his name. Right. <laughs> some some heavy hitters. I feel yeah. like John Hawks played a dad in a in a. He's always sort of like cast in these sort of like white trash dad roles. Yeah. He is, man. He really is. Yeah. And I think it's because, well, never mind. <laughs> well, I read in the marketing of that movie, um, after the movie started getting all this 
controversial press or criticism or whatever that they they took <laughs> John Hawks out of the movie posters and replaced him with the guy the 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 black police chief who, who was played by who who was played by this guy in the wire um he plays a character in The Wire, the guy in The Wire that's always painting the toys. Yeah, I yeah. I don't fucking remember his name now. He had a real young wife, and uh, that guy which I thought was interesting. That guy's been typecast as the black cop. As a black it? cop, he really has. He really has. Um, Woody Harrelson's barking up the cop tree. <laughs> that's true. I don't know, man. Woody Harrelson, can, he can do anything. This is the thing, like... Yeah, Tommy Lee Jones, I feel like. After he did No Country for Old Men, he was just... That's what you need to do, man. This is what we need to do, Tom. If we just hang on... If we just can hang in there for like 30 years, when we get to like our 60s, man, we can just move to Hollywood. We'll just play bit parts. We'll just play... You know what I mean? Like, we can just be like that guy. You know what I mean? That's all I want to be, man, is the guy that like... That is the perfect level. The Philip Seymour Hoffman... Like a Harry Dean Stanton type. Harry Dean Stanton you know has I mean? a perfect career. Yeah, perfect career. You have like your cult <laughs> followings. Like occasionally people are going to like know who you are. <laughs> right. You right. know what I'm saying? Approach you and give you those feelings. Mm-hmm. But you can still go to like the grocery store without being. Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. That's where you want to be. That's exactly where you want to be. Nobody's trying to be uh, fucking Matt Damon for a lot of reasons. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but. but <laughs> <laughs> uh, Matt Damon has had some bad opinions. He he's had some bad, and you know what's interesting is he's the one guy that I would think would know better. <laughs> yeah, you're right. That doesn't. <laughs> you're right. Why do you think we think that? What do you mean? Like, why do you think we? Th- oh, maybe it's because you wrote Goodwill Hunting, and there's like a. There's some woke shit in there, man. Well, that and like, you know, like he had some impressive things to say about like the teacher stuff going on in Massachusetts a few years ago because right. his mom's a teacher. Right. So I was like, maybe this guy's one of the good ones. Right. Then, no. And then me, and then me too happened. And then he, I think he had a lot of really, I think that's what it was. I think he had a really lot of bit bad opinions in, during me too. The worst me too opinion. And let me tell you something. You have to, as a white straight guy, you have to fight the urge to, to weigh in with this opinion. Because it's going to feel real good to you when you think it in your head. Okay? But the whole, well, a lot of good men are going to be taken down in this with the few bad yeah. apples opinion. Right, right, right. That is perhaps the worst. Uh, Tony Robbins, the right self-help guru so, guy. Somebody had a pretty funny tweet the other day that was like, what is this going to do to the con artist industry? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Somebody said the other day, uh, what was it, that this guy's only big in the uh, the Goodwill book section. <laughs> right, right. Um, speaking, of, uh, speaking of teachers, what's going on? Uh, do we have any kind of update? About that situation, I saw that Bevan was going to veto. He's promised to veto. He's promised to veto this the the sewer bill that would kill the pension, right? As we know, is he doing that because he's now backpedaling, or is he think it doesn't go far enough? I I, I <laughs> my hunch is that he's projecting that he is making it right. Uh huh. When in reality, he's going to try to devise a way to push it through and go further. So. You think he's, that he's already he's already made 
a horrific gamble. Right. In he's already like made his saying bet. All, he's already made his bet. Right. So what he's going to do is try to frame himself as this pragmatist. A lot of people are going to take that bait. Right. Because Bevan, I mean, he's got some superficial charisma. He has some rhetorical gifts. I think he's a complete idiot who knows nothing about governance, but he has some rhetorical gifts. Like, if you watch him talk, you think, this guy's got the chops. Right. But what I think is going to end up happening is that he knows that he's fucked for re-election. So I think he's just going to go for broke. And I think what's going to happen here is if people give him an inch, he's going to... Yeah. God, man, we're just throwing the cliches out. <laughs> man, I tell you, here's my analysis, man. You give this fucker an inch, he's going to take a mile. <laughs> That's how I feel every time I talk about politics. I'm like, I got, the best I can offer you is a few cliches. <laughs> I got a few cliches couched in maybe a modicum of decent opinion. That's how all color commentary goes, whether it's politics or sports. It's all the well, same we're good, shit. We're good color guys, aren't we? Yeah. Well, I was with... I said... <laughs> Uh, we were with two of our buddies, Alex and I, the other day, uh-huh. and um, we were watching the uh, West Virginia basketball game, uh-huh. and I said, man, these color guys are very are very bad, and they thought I said these, <laughs> <laughs> and like, they were like, they were like, I could see that moment yeah. that a lot of white people have where they're like stuck between, <laughs> do I... Do, do I, I want to sound self-righteous here or do I want to sound woke? How do I handle this? And then I just looked at him and was like, you know, like color commentary. And <laughs> they were just like, what's that? Man, I had somebody explode on me at a party in Lexington one time because um, she thought I was making fun. She thought that I called Hillary a comebag. Were you there? Uh, yeah, I was there. Yeah, she... I, I, Which is like not a thing anybody ever calls anybody. Yeah, what I'd said... Well, this was way back in, like, what, summer 2016, probably? Yeah, and I was just talking about, like, I was drunk and just talking out of my ass, just, like, about how there's, you're going to see this huge comeback narrative from Hillary Clinton about blah, blah, blah. This is just dumb shit. But she thought I said comeback, and she got very <laughs> mad at me. <laughs> I mean, she, Why would that even make sense <laughs> in what you're talking about, though? It was so embarrassing for both of us, though. As soon as she, like, called me out, and I was like, no, that's not what I said. I like slowly shrunk and got really red, and I think that she felt really b- embarrassed about it. That she made such a reach, or that she embarrassed you. That she both. <laughs> There's. Let's talk about that for a second. Let's talk about the woke reach. <laughs> <laughs> the woke reach. I've been on the business end of the woke reach. <clears throat> I did see someone get mad at you for wearing moccasins one time. That's what that's I was. A, gonna, that's a good example. That's a good woke reach. Um, is there anything else I wanted to cover today? We, we got climate change ticks. We've got moving the needle. <laughs> We've got what we're talking about when we're talking about moving the needle. All right. We've got <laughs> um, and we and we went crash three billboards. Um, you know, we did see another movie this past weekend, and there was a really good. I saw that you put on Twitter about the guy. Oh, that's right. <laughs> talking about <clears throat> that's big still again. <laughs> there was also another. I was surprised that you didn't go with the part where Emily Blunt's character is walking down the stairs and 
there's a nail sticking out from the oh I should from uh, the board um, and, and she stepped on it and he that guy goes uh, had that happen what did he say something like <laughs> done that done that before done that before <laughs> 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 hell yeah baby <laughs> hell yeah I have to go back and tweet that shit no I guess that's everything I got I guess we got everything yeah. I've had a good time. Robo uh <laughs> Robo friend Terrence. Um thank you for having me as on, a guest on podcast. your podcast. This podcast. Oh, um I I did have an interesting hypothetical for you the other day. Okay. That I was thinking about. Um would you allow your clone to fuck your girlfriend? And vice versa? I mean, you, you know said I mean? your like, clone. Your clone. But you said your cologne. <laughs> yes, your cologne. So your cologne makes love <laughs> to your girlfriend before you even get in the room. <laughs> yeah. Would Would you be jealous by? Um, would you be made jealous by your clone if it was an exact replica of me, <laughs> with my consciousness, <laughs> taking my girlfriend to to Pound Town? No, it's interesting. Will you please take out that I said pound town? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could do that. It's uh, a good question. At that point, who's the real Tom, though, you know? Could a clone, though, because I feel like your, your faculties and your personality and everything is cultivated through decades of experiences and whatnot. Yes, yes. So could, your clone could actually never really be you until you... Yes. And, unless it just went through all the same experiences, which would be impossible That's exactly to replicate. That's exactly what I said. So I want to say, nah, I'd fuck myself up. Right. I'd push me off a cliff. You'd kill your clone if you if you met your clone. God, the God. You're talking about a... Deep, deep experience. See, I thought that... I, would you kill it? Would you murder your clone? I leaned into it. I think that it would be kind of hot in the in a, in a way. God, what are you... <laughs> what the hell is well, wrong Well, not with me you? watching it, but if if my partner also had a clone and there was like a four-way the- thing... <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm fucking the clone. I'm fucking my partner's clone while she's yeah, fucking watch, my clone. Watch me. Watch me. <laughs> Watch me, yeah, baby. Just watch me fuck you. This is what this, <laughs> while you fuck this my is clone. What, this is what it looks like. When yeah, you're... dude. This is a kink. It's like annihilation. Anybody who's seen annihilation knows that this is the actual plot of this movie. It's all about. Would you be cool with your partner? Fu- That's what annihilation is about. It's like, would you be cool with Spoiler. your partner, partner fucking? God. Clone? <laughs> would you be jealous? I really don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I'm going to think about that for a little bit. I don't know. You know, I'm not a jealous guy. And does the, does the clone have the exact same penis size? <laughs> <laughs> no, he's like Wolverine. They made him since they made him in a lab. <laughs> He gets a big old honk. He they, they gave him a big David hog, man. <laughs> big old David. The other day, I was thinking about it. Like, um, 
it's uh, it's really funny to me that David Hogg, who like went through this ter- terribly tragic fucked up ordeal, has now become the butt of a very specific kind of ironic joke. Oh god, <laughs> we're, fi- we're diseased. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we're diseased. One hundred percent. Absolutely. <laughs> it is so fucking funny. <laughs> Absolutely. Um. No, uh, your answer to this question, I think, depends on if you, I don't know, if you think, do you think, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like I said, I leaned into it. <laughs> I'll probably lean out. I don't know. I think it's such, such a ridiculous hypothetical, but... <laughs> I can't formulate a real emotional opinion back. What are you talking about? I just know, like... What are you talking about? This I don't know. Brilliant. I don't know if I would be... It's, it's so weird. Now, everybody in existence has had different iterations of themselves. Like, if it was, like, a younger, slimmer, handsomer me from, like, the mid-2000s, I'd probably get a little jealous. <laughs> Good point. That's a very good point. You know? Would you get... Yeah, that's a very good point. I would probably get jealous of my 20... Actually, no, because at uh, 21, I was like way more neurotic and bad at sex. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he said that like you've you've come so far and you're <laughs> just a stone-cold fuck demon now. You know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Unlike now where I... <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm <laughs> <laughs> like the pussy hound I am today. Oh, uh, sex is like a bell curve, probably, huh? It's like this. I feel like people aren't. I mean, I've said this before, but people aren't. You you just can't be good at sex like you could be good at the guitar or playing the drums. Agreed, with exceptions. Mm. Well. The thing is, it's about matchups. It's about matchups, and the same thing goes with musicians, though. Too honestly, like I really don't think Neil Peart is a better drummer than Questlove. I mean, like technically, he's better, he's faster, or whatever. He does some incredible shit, but like Questlove's in the pocket, though. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he's got, I like his beats better. He's yeah. got better beats. Yeah, that's all I'm saying. Yeah, not that Neil Peart makes beats, but also. <laughs> Is that, that no, <laughs> noted noted hip hop super producer Neil Perns <laughs> <laughs> behind hits such as Usher's Yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I guess it's true who your supporting cast is. I mean, Jane Doe might be good with John Doe, but not Dick Doe. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. So, yeah, Dick Doe, <laughs> Dick Doe. Dick Doe. <laughs> what we're talking about when we're talking about Dick Doe. <laughs> <laughs> what are we talking about? What we're talking what about. We're talking about Dick Doe. What? <laughs> <laughs> this is what we're talking about. When we're talking about that Dick Doe. What we're talking about. Dude, that is, yeah, that is the total hack. Um, Sort of. Headline. 
Do you think that like media outlets have different headline writers than? Probably. Probably, yeah. I feel bad for. I'm so glad I'm not writing anymore, man. Like I feel bad for a lot of writers who, because I know this feeling. You write something and then it has a totally different headline. You're like, fucking god damn it. Yeah, and then they take so much out that it bears a little resemblance to what you wrote in the first place. Right, right. Yeah, no, I'm very pleased. I'm, you know, I thought that like. For the longest time, writing was a central part of my identity. It helped me like formulate ideas and and really explore some and some ideas and shit. That, but now that I'm older, I'm like, no, it's much better to just get on a podcast for an hour a week and say all my worst opinions out into the ether. There you go. And uh, it's gotten me way more Twitter followers than I ever got while writing. I'll say that. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it, have that's we a went? Measure for have we left? We've left the era of the think piece. And move just moved to podcasts almost exclusively, haven't we? Um, I don't. That's a good question. I, I, really, I don't know. Maybe they have a symbiotic relationship because I feel like a lot of podcast episodes are about think pieces. <laughs> <laughs> think pieces are the <coughs> krill of uh, this ocean ecosystem. You know, we're yeah, we're, sure. we're giant wells. Like yeah. uh, we just take up a bunch of them at a time. That's a really funny way to eat. You know, like the massive just hoovering it. <laughs> here's also my que- here's also my question about that. Wouldn't you get a lot of water in your gut by yeah? Off your mouth and just swimming. How's that work? You're just full you just as fuck. pissing all the time. Just pissing all the time. <laughs> I'm gonna like that anyways. Oh yeah. You know. But imagine being a giant whale or what's the a whale shark? They're huge too, right? Um. Yeah, I think they're pretty big. And don't they just open? They just open their mouth, and whatever's like in their path is what goes in there. <laughs> but don't they get full of water? But isn't it funny how like that's their adaptation? Like that's how they stay alive. Like that's how they stay alive to reproduce. Like they they're not fast or agile or anything. No real advantage. They're just massive. They have no natural predators because I don't think anything could really eat them. Right. I mean, maybe like being a, big is a very good deterrent to not being eaten. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Unless you're a giraffe, but right. Really, just takes three or four big jungle cats to bring you down. In that case. Right. Right. Um. You know, you talked about the sweet spot. I know we're just on B-roll right now, <laughs> but but you talked about the sweet spot of um. Like Harry Dean Stanton. Oh, what's yeah. what's the Harry Dean Stanton of the animal kingdom? <laughs> <laughs> Just the perfect blend of no natural predators. Damn. The the Harry Dean st- <laughs> Harry Dean Stanton is the Harry Dean Stanton yeah. of the animal. No, something with no natural predators, but is also just like at the sort of top of its. Like well respected. Well respected. <laughs> Has no natural predators, really. In the sense that Harry Dean Stanton wasn't, I guess, trying to compete to be a leading man or anything like that. Yeah. Maybe like a manta ray or something? A stingray? Hmm. Those are pretty tight. Those are pretty tight, but I feel like a shark could eat them. Damn. A shark probably (laughs) could have fucked up a stingray. But they're massive, though, man. Big meal, man. The funniest thing, dude, um, the funniest shit to me was... I was in the, did I ever tell you about this? I, w- I was in the aquarium 
the Atlanta Aquarium. I don't know what the fuck it's called, but they have narwhals there, man. And the big um, horns, or no beluga. I start saying, aren't nar- are narwhals are they real, real or fictional? Maybe they're <laughs> fake. <laughs> <laughs> no, they have beluga whales. Beluga whales are the ones with the big ass foreheads. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but they're incredibly intelligent. But uh, it was hilarious, man, because <laughs> how do you know that? Because <laughs> <laughs> I got big foreheads. Teach them French. <laughs> <laughs> No, they this, they were winking at me. <laughs> okay, Playboy, I see. Yeah. Um. No, it was. I was standing. I was standing there. Um. And there was a bunch of families all standing around, and uh, two of the beluga whales started fucking like a. And um, they're like, "Hey, man, let's <laughs> yeah, put on a show. Let's put on a show." And for the me. and the male beluga whale just pulled out and busted <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> Like a big, huge cloud. The way you were doing, I thought you was like you're making like a lighter, like you're lighting yeah. something. You're like he just pulled out a lighter. <laughs> no, I don't know. That's the to me. That's the hand signal for pulling out and busting. You pull out, you bust. You use your thumb like a like the way you would use a water hose when you're like eight years old. You put it. You put your finger over the edge, and it. <laughs> Oh my God! That's what that's what it is. <laughs> just, but it, dude, it just yeah, but uh, and uh, nut just jizz went everywhere like a big cloud of it. What does it? What does beluga whale jizz look like? Just like ours. <laughs> just more. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And all the all these kids are like, wow. These the yeah the parents. So so here's what's funny to me is that the beluga whale is also a two pump chump. <laughs> <laughs> can't have it. He can't have brains and be uh, good at sex. He had a little more than two. My man had at least five or six. The <laughs> <two pumps. laughs> uh, this pussy's too bomb. <laughs> wait wait wait. Did you see that? Um, there was I don't know. It's probably clickbait or some bullshit. But there was like a a tweet. Um, I might even have it pulled open. Here's a smart condom that tracks thrust speed and velocity and lets you share the data. Look at this. The icon. The world's first smart condom. Can I ask you a question? Did you tee up the Beluga story just to pull that tab up? <laughs> no, I baby. feel like I've been had. No, no. <laughs> it all fits together. That's my podcasting genius. You really think I'm that good? You really think I could? Oh, I was looking at this. Sir. Oh, it's still <laughs> weird. Oh. Man, I'm good. I'm good enough to bring. Who Who is the guy that would actually share that data? Um, who would buy a smart condom? I don't know, but the, the the hilarious thing is that like they they equate thrust amount with a fit with like sexual proficiency or sexual excellence. Uh, what? <laughs> I can go ahead and tell you, it's, uh, no. Those aren't the metrics I care about in my performance. Exactly. But yeah, the the funniest part about that, though, is that it's shareable. You can, t- you can tell your friends about it. 32 pumps. 32? Good job, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> I was having dinner with my wife last night, and I saw on my Icon app, you got 34 pumps in last night. Good job, buddy. <laughs> Good job, pal. <laughs> I don't know. You're uh, you're getting better. I guess if it leads to you know more male bonding, then maybe that's good. That's gonna lead us to dunking on, dude. Yeah, good point. Thirty-two pumps. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> thirty-two pump chump. You're right. You're right. 
males don't we don't praise each other a whole lot. Yeah, you're really right. We don't. Our whole relationships are predicated on dunking on one another. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> that was that was interesting. <laughs> yeah, you're right. We uh we do have like a I mean, really, what do we have to like really praise in each other though? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Nothing good going on. Tom, good good take. Good tweet, man. <laughs> good take, man. I mean, I don't know. We dress pretty you know, run of the mill. Yeah, we 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 dress very economically. We're not flashy or anything. We're not trying to make a statement. So like, we don't really have anything in that realm we can compliment each other on. What would we theoretically compliment each other on? The irony of that is that we could just actually compliment each other on actual things. But since our friendship is mediated by irony, we can't have sincere connection. I'm just kidding. Is it better that way? <laughs> It's not really, folks. That was a meta commentary. <laughs> Just cut this. <laughs> I've got, I'm out of opinions today. You're out of it, man. You're out of I've this. I've got nothing else to add. All right, all right. Uh, thanks for listening, folks. That's all. <laughs>